0: Hello, my name is Brandon Boat, and you're listening to the Theater of Public Policy podcast. Our show today is about women coaching women in sports. We had on two guests, and our first was Dr. Nicole Lavoie, who is a senior lecturer in the School of Kinesiology at the University of Minnesota, and the co-director of the Tucker Center of Research on Girls and Women in Sport. Our other guest was Julie Lundquist, who is the assistant women's soccer coach at the University of St. Thomas and co-founder of Women in Sports and Events Twin Cities. This show was recorded live at the Amsterdam Barn Hall in downtown St. Paul. Just a quick note about the quality of the audio of the track. We had some difficulties in the recording process, and so the audio is a bit washed out at times. I tried to clean it up as best I could, but though it's not up to our typical high standards, we think you can still enjoy it.
1: Uh, so, okay, so uh, we w- we're we having this big conversation about uh, women, and we, we titled the show, you know, Women Coaching Women, and why that's important. I kind of wanted to start, though, as like a half step before that. Why are coaches a thing? Like, it just generally, like, I haven't played uh, a coach sport since, like, high school, and I had... I grew up in Florida, as was mentioned. Wow, really? Uh, yeah. Uh, we have different uh, uh, upbringings. So, um, but... <laughs> But, uh, but I am just, uh, I, I didn't have good coaches maybe uh, growing up, but I, I am just curious, like when somebody's like, when somebody comes to you and just sort of asks, why does, why does a coach matter, a good coach or a not good coach? How do you think about that?
2: I don't know. Well, um, I think a, go, a good coach matters because they help build community. Um, they can keep things really positive. The whole focus is to draw out the best out of the players and to kind of get them to work as a team and work towards a common goal. And so, a good coach just can kind of take what's there and just encourage them to bring their best and to have all the others bring their best too. Do we?
1: I mean, when we're research, they can change lives. They. I mean, yes. We all can change good lives, good or bad. for good <laughs> or bad, yes. I. This is a true. I. So I played tennis for uh, in nice. in high school for. Yeah, uh, that was the best, most polite <laughs> high-five I've ever... Volley, beforehand Yeah, beforehand volley. Yeah. And I often used to think about this. Oh, I could spend my whole life trying to teach someone how to uh, be a little bit better at tennis, and maybe they would get just a tiny bit better. But you could probably very easily tell someone something terrible and just screw up their game for the rest of their lives. So, like, there's a lot of capacity for evil in coaching. Have you ever considered this?
2: Um, <laughs> I actually have never considered it. Um, I have had to do some deep meditation about not causing evil to some children at some point. Yeah. Um, it's only happened once. Um, but no, I think the thing about coaching is there is the technical and tactical component to the game, but really what we're working on is, is living well on a small scrap of grass. I coach soccer, and so that's really what we do is we get to practice living really, really well, working at something that we love, and then our athletes get a chance to actually uh, put not only technical things and tactical things into practice, but really great uh, leadership values, character development, um, teamwork, communication, bridge building, all those things. Um, And it's pretty exciting to see it happen.
1: Okay, so we've established, at least for the premise of this conversation, coaches are important, Uh, and it's a very important thing. So then the big question is, uh, the... What does it matter if you have a women a woman coach or a male coach uh, or a non-gendered coach? Uh, uh, and I'm turning to you because this is sort of what you study. And so I'm curious, I think that you know we might all have some feeling about that or some notion from a personal experience. But I'm wondering, you all have the opportunity to actually sort of dig into this on a a system-wide level. So what do we actually see from how that affects or changes how people actually interact with the sport?
3: Well, well, first of all, I'd like to go back to the evil. Yeah, sure, thing. please. Um, we could spend the whole show we on could evil because uh, the reason why we do what we do in general is because there are a lot of really bad coaches that are evil and are not serving the the good of children or anybody they're around. So, I,
1: and there's probably both bad coaches and evil coaches, and yeah. it's possible that they're not. Overlapping all I mean probably most evil coaches No, there's probably some weird Venn diagram where there you could be is, yeah, an evil sure. good coach. You could be a bad bad coach. Yeah. But or just an inept bad coach. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's some evil bad coaches. Yeah. yeah
3: there's a lot of circles there that yeah. you could draw. This
1: is good. This is a whole grad paper. Yeah, there's some is. grad They're students. taking yeah. notes
3: back there. We're gonna draw a model of it. Um But in terms of why women coaches matter, or in general, same-sex coaches matter. So for male coaches for boys, same-sex role models matter. But most boys, I would say almost 100% of boys get a male coach as a same-sex role model. For confidence and self-perceptions and emulation and role modeling and relatability and to see, like, well, I can do that. A lot of young girls grow up never having a female coaching role model. And I think that needs to change because we know from the data that same-sex role models matter.
1: Why? Say say more how does it matter? Like, what is the impact that we can see?
3: More uh, positive self-perception, self-confidence, self-efficacy, self-esteem, um, more relatability. So you see someone that's like you in a position, you see it as a viable career pathway or something that you can do. Just like with the Women's World Cup, when you see these amazing female athletes and two female head coaches coaching on the biggest stage, that's inspiring. That's motivating. Like, ooh, I can do that. And
1: we should say, this was we were talking before the show, this was the first uh, winning World Cup team that had two female coaches heading it. Is that true? Yeah,
3: so the Netherlands and the U.S. both had a female head coach. First time ever in the history of the Women's World Cup and they both played college soccer in the United States.
1: Um, from a coaching perspective, you mentioned you right now, you're teaching uh, or coaching at University of St. Thomas, so you're at the collegiate level. You've also taught at the high school level as well. I'm curious, you must have had uh, female athletes who had male coaches before you, and have they ever said to you, like, oh, I'm, uh, I'm so glad? Now, or uh, has that ever come up, like, the, the transition to, like, oh... This is different.
2: You're like me. Right. Um, I will say the collegiate players very much um, have expressed gratitude with that. I actually have had a high school. I've had one high school player uh, tell me that she plays much better for male coaches and would prefer a male coach um, well, well and above any female coach she's ever had. Is this the one you wanted to be evil with? No. No. Uh... No. No, no. Um, so, I think I think it, it all depends um, on, on people's perception and where they're coming from, but by and large, I think that our players um, are really excited to have female coaches um, and female role models, and it's always been a really great thing for me.
1: Okay, so uh, pr- I'm guessing, but folks who came out to this show probably are on board with the stuff that we've said so far... It'd be weird if... if It happens. Somebody would come out to the show and be like, nah, I'm not convinced. Uh, Female coaches... Boo women's sports. Boo women's sports. But we should also, like, uh, set the table for where we're at. We kind of noted this thing about uh, Women's World Cup having two female head coaches uh, going off each other for the first time. Mm -hmm. Where are we more broadly in the sort of... On the collegiate level, professional level... um, Everybody's probably on a little bit of a euphoria from the World yeah. Cup this past week, but I don't know. Set us straight. How is the okay. field more generally? All
3: right. Here's here's the data. Yeah. Title IX passes in 1972, right? Makes gender discrimination illegal in our school system. At that point, one in 27 girls played sports. Fast forward to 20, And that's
1: at the college level, one in 27? At
3: the, at, uh, in, general. In, general. in general. In general. In general, yeah. Okay. And fast forward to 2019, it's about one in three girls. So we wow. have a landmark um, tidal wave of girls playing sports. Now, contrast that with 1972, we had 90% of girls and women being coached by women. 90%. Fast forward to 2019, where we have all these girls and women that have played sports with the love of sport and social capital, athletic capital, experience of passion, we have 42% of what? all girls being coached by women. So we've gone backwards. It's cut in half? Cut in half.
1: So there's half as many uh, women being coached by women today as there were in, in 1970s. That's correct. Wow, that's uh, counterintuitive, it seems like. Uh, why? Oh, we don't have time for yes, that. Yes, we do. We oh, have a whole show. We have a whole show. Okay. Yeah, so I, why, why, if we have so many more women playing sports, doesn't that, you would think, maybe that would just trickle up yeah, into... And it, yeah,
3: and no, I hear that a lot. Well, just wait. they'll They'll trickle up. It's been almost 50 years. They've trickled out, or they've been denied the opportunity to coach. So at the crux of all this, there's many reasons, but it's about denying women and impeding their opportunity to coach. Because as the position becomes more powerful, more lucrative, more visible, you find less women.
1: So the notion or the the evidence here is Title IX passes, all of a sudden there's equal funding. So if I'm a male... Oh, co- no,
3: not equal funding. Not equal funding, no. sorry. But equal, oppurtu- equal opportunity. E- more equal opportunity. More
1: e- equal opportunity. No. So there's there's more funding probably yes, than there was. because there was none. Because there was none. So yeah,
3: there was zero. Low, I like then setting there was the bar some. low. Yeah, then yeah. there was
1: some. So I am a male coach. And I'm like, oh, you know, look at the, the women's like lacrosse team. Uh, I'm going to go for that job now because like I'm I... There's like money potentially to be yeah. made for that, and I'm gonna uh, try. And then maybe a woman who had done that job before now is getting pushed out somehow. From is that sort of the yes. paradigm that we're talking about? Yeah. I'm. Do you see this?
2: Um, well, y- yes, you definitely see it. Um, I happen to work uh, at St. Thomas, and we are one of the very few. Uh, we're in the Mayak currently. Um, <laughs>
3: Counting down. (laughs) Counting
2: down. Um, We are one of the few um, all-women coaching staff. Our head coach is a woman, and we have uh, two assistant female coaches. And it's really exciting, but there aren't many of us out there, uh, especially that have all-female coaching staff. And more and more, um, as you look for positions that open up even, new ones, so many are being filled by men, which is awesome. Um, however, there's just not an opportunity oftentimes for women to even interview for those positions or to get their foot in the door for those positions. So, um, and it's not just hearsay, and, and Nicole has a lot of the facts, uh, research and data-driven facts, but we've definitely seen it. It's not just anecdotal. It's, it's definitely
3: happening, um, and it's, it's pretty sad. Yeah. So can I jump in here? One of the things we see is that when a head coaching position opens up, an experienced female coach like Julie, who's applying for the job, will be overlooked or not be even get an interview, and they'll hire a male college soccer player with less experience and less knowledge and less everything, just because he's a man. Is it?
1: So, um, <clears throat> so th- that's painful. Uh, so... <laughs>
3: And, and to Julie's point, it's not to say men shouldn't coach women. There's many wonderful male coaches. That's not the point. The point is, is that women are being denied the opportunity, and our young women deserve female role models.
1: To try and play out uh, some of the reasons maybe that this comes up is it, um, is it because we have athletic directors who are largely male, and so they're just like, oh...
3: Give him a point for that. Yay! Are you still keeping score? Yeah, uh,
1: yeah. So, so we have a lot of male athletic directors, and so maybe male athletic directors are like, "Oh, uh, it's another dude." I get it. Because
3: um, <laughs> dudes like to hire other dudes.
1: <laughs> I get it's it. It's a thing. Uh, yeah. Um, and so there's that. I am curious. Like in the example that you talked about, like, oh, I, I have like a a woman who's been doing this and is uh, professional versus like I'm going to hire. So just hiring uh, like uh, somebody right out of college in general sounds perilous. No offense, college <laughs> students who are here. Um, but is there any piece of that where it's like, oh, that'll be cheaper? Yes. Or, yeah, is that part of it as well sometimes?
3: Uh, cheaper. And um, experienced veteran female coaches with a lot of experience don't want to put up with BS, right? And so they'll hire the young guy because he'll... He's eager and he just wants a job. And he'll put up with a lot of things that a, a veteran female wouldn't put up with. What are some of the things you won't put up with? <laughs> um,
2: well, uh, a couple of things that I won't put up with. I actually did apply for a job, a head coaching position not too long ago. And um, I wound up pulling my name out of the hat because a couple of things that I couldn't put up with was uh, travel for more than 20 weekends a year, um, working every day uh, until 8.30 at night because I value my family um, and my husband and I wanted to be around for some meal. Um, so I think those are the things that I won't I won't put up with. But um, I think just good working conditions. I love to work hard. I'm all for putting in my dues and my time. But there's some things that, that are important and, and, having a good balance, uh, you know, 50 hour work week, 60 hour work week in season. I mean, it's insane in season. I know like as coaches, as coaches, we work from, you know, we don't get home till 10, 12, two in the morning, depending on where we're traveling to. And that's awesome. And I get that in season, but to continue that the entire time outside of season, especially when pay doesn't reflect yeah. that, um, that's, that's tough. Uh,
1: maybe this is a question for both of you, but I mean, with where we are right now then, do do you tell young women, pursue this? Like, go into becoming a coach?
3: Yes. Yes. Yes, with an asterisk. Um, I have a lot of ethical stress about this because... You can coach up these young women and encourage them to go into this great profession where you can influence lives, right, and really make a difference, but we we often, we coach them up and we send them into a system of sexism and homophobia and discrimination and unequal pay and not work-life family balance, and it chews them up and spits them out, so what we need to do is a better job of supporting them and giving them the tools and the resources and pushing to change the system and the culture of sport and the coaching profession for everybody. And um, it's it's a steep hill.
1: On that same note, I am curious. I mean, so uh, you were playing sports and it was a different generation than the girls that you're coaching now. How are they approaching this differently maybe than you did? Or how is their like mindset around some of these questions and things maybe different? Or Are there things that you hear from them that are surprising to you?
2: Um, well, I think that for a lot of the women that I coach and a lot of the, like I'm coaching a uh, high school age girls club team as well, I think for a lot of them, they're very ignorant still about the whole concept of Title IX and the fact that that we have come a long way and the opportunities that they have uh, afforded to them are absolutely amazing um to even be playing and so that's that's one thing i think that was surprising um, for me. They don't think anything of it to see Jill, Jill Ellis on the TV screen, to be able to walk in Buffalo Wild Wings and see the women playing soccer. Uh, to For us to be able to go call up any restaurant and say, hey, we're bringing the team in. Can we turn all the televisions on to watch our, the U.S. women play? Um, when I grew up, we didn't have that. I mean, we didn't even have a national team that got any, any time on television. So um, I think that's one thing that's interesting to me is that I don't think they realize the great opportunities that they have, Um, but as far as the coaching idea, the cool thing is, especially with the college athletes, they have such a phenomenal experience, they want to give back in coaching because they know the hours, they know the rigmarole, but honest to goodness, I mean, there's a reason why I'm still coaching. It's because... There's something magic that happens on that field. There's something magic that happens when people learn how to work together and bring out the best in each other, and they never forget that. And it's, it's the thing that, I mean, I get goosebumps still just talking about it. Um, it's the thing that they hold on to the rest of their life and help them get through corporate messes, marriage messes, relationship things, uh, issues with their neighbors, because they remember how we did it in sport. And that's pretty cool. So, uh, I should say, the second half of the show, we open up for
1: you all to ask questions of our guests, but I'll just ask, like, one last one uh, in this uh, same vein, <clears throat> which is, we talked a lot about college sports. I can't th- it's hard to think of anything else in sort of the college universe that seems to be more directly impacted by Alumni being loud and obnoxious sometimes uh, so it, like you know I it'd be very hard for me to like call up my alma mater and be like mm, the communication studies department needs to do this and then they would like listen to it but it does seem like people call up their colleges a lot and yell about like what they should do around sports and things like that. yeah I'm curious if is that the path forward Should we all just be harassing our alma maters like uh, athletic dress yes. yeah. Differently and, like, uh, you know, not writing our colleges into our will except for only, like, for women coaches or things like that?
3: Well, I'm always an advocate for pushing for social change when one can. And we have had a number of people tell us that they use our data to look at their women's teams and look at how many women are coaches of women's teams. And for some of them, it's zero, Some of them it's a few, some of it's half, some are doing quite well, but when you call up an athletic director and say, hey, you know, it's important to me as an alum of your program as a former student athlete that our women athletes have the opportunity to be coached by a woman, and I'm not giving you another dime until I see some more women in your coaching staffs, they listen. I know they do because they tell me that. Because when we have a report card, a women in college coaching report card, and we give institutions grades, A through F, based on the percentage of women coaching the women, and they don't get a very good grade, and they're embarrassed, that matters to them. So, yes, we can use the data to push for social change.
1: I am such a big fan of public shaming. So uh,
3: (laughs) So, so we like to say... We like to celebrate who's doing it well.
1: And just look across the room at the people who aren't well, and just
3: Well, yeah, right.
1: It's hmm. not that we're mad. We're just disappointed. Yeah, very. Uh, on that note, can we do a big round of applause for these two amazing guests? Okay. So if you have a question, uh, raise your hand. I will come towards you in a non-threatening manner uh, with the microphone, and I will uh, give you a sticker for your question so uh, if you have a question please raise your hand uh, Ooh, right in the front how convenient uh, and you get a
3: <laughs> sticker so I have a question you alluded to the fact that most athletic directors are male and they're hiring people who look like them but on the flip side what do we do about the younger kids who are just starting in sports because also a lot of those coaches are dads and men and women feel completely shut out of that process. So, how do we change that paradigm so that kids, young kids, grow up seeing female role models and then hopefully change the levels at the top?
2: Sure. Um, well, I think. I think you hit the nail on the head. The, the change for grassroots coaching is awesome. And I know that there are a lot of local clubs, soccer clubs, and not just soccer, but in a lot of different sports that are really working hard to recruit parents, especially um, moms or recent, you know, female college graduates. Uh, maybe even collegiate players that are home for the summer, because it is essential for those young kids to have that experience. Um, there's a lot of national soccer organizations that are doing a really great job in providing resources to train complete novice coaches, um, especially targeting women, because they've got one in three are, are practicing in athletics, athletics or have that experience. And so I think there's a, a big movement to try to get people past always signing up for the manager position or the concession stand. Um, and I know in our community uh, down in Prior Lake, we've got a plethora of, of women and moms coaching um, because it's been intentional. We've worked really hard to welcome them, invite them along. Um, but was—it's a brilliant idea, and I think we we need to really celebrate that more throughout the cities.
1: So maybe that's one of the places here. Like, if if you know, you are like, I'm not ever going to be a college level coach, but almost anybody, uh, you know, could start out teaching uh, coaching their their young kids at some point.
3: And one of the things we've learned, uh, the I started in this line of work about women and coaching at the youth level. Because I thought if you're at the grassroots level where kids see women coaches, then that becomes normalized. And one of the things that we learned from interviewing coaching moms and moms that weren't coaching, we asked them, How do you get more mom coaches, right, to coach the youth? And one of the most simple strategies they told us was ask us. Ask them. A lot of these youth sport meetings, you have the parent meeting. It's like, hey, we need another coach, and they look at the dads. Ask the moms. The, a lot of these women have a lot of experience, and they actually do want to coach, but they're waiting to be asked.
1: Uh, can I? I'm probably going to keep coming around, but there's one other thing I realized I was curious about. I mean, we've talked a lot about soccer because you're a soccer coach. We just had the World Cup or whatnot. Do we have any? Do we know? Is this different in different sports? Do we see it? Like, are some sports doing better with this than others?
3: Yeah, we have the data that it's very different by sports. So sports like softball, golf, uh, lacrosse, and field hockey, which isn't super popular here in the Midwest, but it is on the coasts. Have a majority of female coaches. Hmm. There's sports like track and field, cross country, swimming and diving, water polo, and alpine and Nordic skiing that barely have any women, and soccer um, get Fs. So some sports oh. have a history and tradition of doing really well, and others do not.
1: That's interesting. Okay, uh, other questions? Oh, so many questions. I'm gonna go all the way to the back. Uh, da, 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 bring a sticker with me. <laughs> So kind of an extension to the other question, you're talking about young children, but um, what do you think about what would be different if women coached men in
3: college and professional sports? Well, I think it would be amazing because women coaching men provide strong, confident, athletic role models for young men in a context that they care about and they care about sport and these young men want what anybody wants they want a coach that cares about them that teaches them about sport and life and women can do that just as much as men and in fact we know from the data that when women do coach men men grow up to see women more as equals in the workplace and in their personal lives so it's very powerful
2: yeah I've had a personal experience um, coaching high school age boys a number of times and it's been a dynamite experience for all of us and uh, the coolest thing for me i I feel like I've made impact or had a success if the players are staying in contact with me and I mean, a lot of the male athletes that I coached are, will still reach out or I'll see them at the park or at Target or in college. Uh, they'll be playing in the men's game that follows our women's game. And it's just they're really excited to see us and uh, because we had a great connection. And, and I, I really think it's a, a great way to, to let everyone have a chance to see that we all are leaders and we all need to be leaders regardless of our gender. I may be wrong,
1: and the, or this may be too hard, uh, like this might be a, a touchy question, but I am curious, we've talked about the sexism that's sort of built into the system and some of the silent sexism that maybe happens of just overlooking. I'm curious in those cases of women coaching men's sports, if that sexism becomes more overt, that it just becomes more explicit of like, well, no, <laughs> because this is the boys' team, uh, or if that happens, or if it is similar or is the same.
3: I think it can be both and I think depending on the level you're at when a when a woman is coaching a boys team it's not the norm so it raises eyebrows and she's then immediately under scrutiny. At the higher levels I think where it's about performance and teaching skills and tactical and the, the men, or the young men, realize that this woman knows what she's talking about and she can help me be a better athlete and a better person. Um, some of that blatant sexism, I think, falls away because now they see, like, this woman is amazing. And it changes their perspectives.
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think once you coach a team, they make a quick assessment of what you know and how you go about it. and. I think that when they when they understand and you've earned their respect, my players, my, my male players, the problem isn't with my players or my parents, it's with the opposition and mm-hmm. my boys teams have gone have had to undergo scrutiny from the other boys on other teams uh, talking smack about their coach on the field, and that results in a whole a whole nother thing that we have to to address that you wouldn't even think that you'd have to, um, but no, I think I think when any group of athletes are coached by someone who's knowledgeable, who's fair, who's a good leader, um, who's asking them to bring their best and teaching them and encouraging them to bring their best with their teammates, they want to play for you and they want to show you what they can do and, and they want to get better, and so, um, you know, I've never I've never seen that on a team that I've coached. Okay, great, so there were a bunch of other
1: hands, who else? Oh, you had a hand, and then I'll come over there. Hi, thank you for being here today. This has been fun and and informational. Uh, I have a friend who's uh, a coach, and he's uh, bringing gender equality into his team, and he seems to think that the only way to um, make change is to have the men protest uh, the the, uh, U.S. uh, National World Cup men's team to protest that the women aren't, you know, so the women get equal pay. Gotcha. Um, so I'm interested in, like, how, how can men support the movement, and what, what do you have for ideas for that?
3: That's a really amazing question, and no social change happens when only 50% of the population is fighting for it. We need male allies to join in and use their power and voices to help move the needle. So unfortunately we just we need a tipping point of male allies that are that are brave and courageous enough to to do that with us. So I get this question a lot, what can I do? Because I'm outraged, I'm angry, I'm frustrated. And there are some really good resources out there. Just Google like how to be a male ally. And there's a whole list. And most of it is show up, use your power, use your voice, be visible, let the women in your life know that you support them, that you're there for them, that you have their back, that you'll speak up for them when they can't. So those are really simple, and it can become more complex after that. And hire women when you have the opportunity. If you're a man in power and you have the opportunity, hire women. Give them a shot. Yeah, absolutely.
2: And I, I think even if you have uh, children who are involved in athletics and give the people in charge of a, a, a call and just say, you know, are you looking for coaches of both genders? And, and how do you how do you go about what's the entire hiring process? And and just find out a little bit more about how the system works and just really encourage them um, to continue opening the pool. Uh, I talked to someone not too long ago, another college was looking for a head men's coaching position and she happened to be on the search committee and her main goal was to get them to agree to have a certain percentage of the pool that was allowed to interview be uh, female athlete or female coaches. And so there's, so many different ways to try to, to make change because it's not that women are better coaches, but women need a fair shot in getting their foot in the door because we do have a lot to offer.
1: I, I think part of this question to your friend was about, okay, so yes, the, there's these incremental things that we can do. We can be allies. We can do this, uh, which I think some people would say, oh, there's been some of that work, but maybe they feel like it's not happening, like we're not getting there. So are we at a point, maybe part of this question is, where you need to do something radical, like, you know, uh, male athletes need to walk off the field or, you know, people need to sort of take up some sort of more dramatic protest in some way. Do you feel like sort of this incremental piece is working and we should kind of keep chipping away at that like that? Or do we need some sort of more, you know, uh, big dramatic change moment? Nobody listens to this show. Go crazy. Yeah.
3: Well, I think many would argue we're sort of chipping away. And, you know, when you're climbing, you're trying to break the glass ceiling for decades. I think that's how it feels. And so at this moment where you have the best female athletes in the world on the biggest stage of sport, the Women's World Cup, using that platform as leverage, which is a dramatic moment, kudos to them. Now, if their male counterparts would also join in, I hate to say it, but it also lends some credibility and some weight to the to the fight, and we need that. So I'm all for dramatic, because social change happens so slowly that dramatic moments help push the needle. Okay,
1: uh, there's a question right here, and then I'll come back over there.
2: I have a related question. First of all, thank you both for being here and being part of the culture change. I know you're both passionate about this. Um, speaking of dramatic and radical, are there opportunities that you see to change, amend, or enforce Title IX? Maybe not in this administration, but perhaps in the next. Um, that, that would help with some of these inequities that we see. I think uh, from my Experience and granted, it's just a very small sliver of experience, but there are still a number of very large inequities happening, um, even in our state, even in our communities, uh, with Title IX and the uh, the difference in how athletes are treated by gender and by sport. And I think that if people actually knew the differences, they'd be shocked. And I think a lot of it just has to do with getting involved in your community level. Go on a tour in the high school. Check out what the boys' locker lo- room looks like. Check out what the girls' locker wo- room looks like. Ask about coaching staff. Ask about uh, salaries, uh, soc- or summer camps, the LLCs, who's generating the money, who gets to play Friday nights, who gets to play Saturday mornings. Um, And I think those are a lot of things that we need to take a look at um, because a lot has changed, But and and maybe it was my generation's fault. I mean, um, I don't think that we realized that we had to keep pushing. Um, And we do. It needs to change. It needs to change for the sake of the young women who are still coming through the ranks. It needs to change for the the little teeny five-year-olds just starting to play because it's not until our country finally gets a clue that we all have to pour our very best into it to make a big difference in this world. And sport is a powerful, powerful tool that really changes lives. You take a look, especially you want to talk about economy, you want to talk about our country's uh, wealth and stability... The people who are in positions of power in our corporate or corporations, so many of them came from athletic careers and athletic experience. And we need to make sure that their experience was, is top-notch. And we need to be able to push this, this thing forward. And so it is going to be grassroots. And I'm all for something radical. The thing with planning something radical, it never really works. It's got to be a groundswell, Right. I mean, it, it's got to be a movement that happens, and I'm ready. Oh, me
1: too. All right. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm going to go one last year. Yeah, go,
2: go ahead. Okay. Thank you. Thank you both and everybody up there. Um,
1: I think for me and for probably many people in this room, this is a topic that quickly becomes very visceral, right? And there is this, like, impassioned feeling about it. But I'm wondering what you both think, and Dr. Levoy, this might be more specifically for you. Moving the needle and getting there means empirically. Like, what differences do you think you would see in the numbers and
3: say it's working even if it's slow? Yeah. That's a good question, spoken like a true graduate student at the University what's of Minnesota. What's the answer on the test? Uh, yeah. So I get this question a lot. What's, what's your end game, Lavoy? You know, when are you going to be happy? <laughs> You what know are you just
1: going to retire Yeah, why
3: are you like, when are you going to, you know, drop the bone? Um, so we use data because data tells the story, and data can help us know when we're making and pushing the needle or not. So if we're currently at 43% of all head coaches are women, I would be happy with that in the next five years being 50%. Because every year it goes up like 02 0.2, not 2%, 0.2. So that would be radical if we got to 50% in five years. I would be happy with that. Media coverage. 43% of all, female, of all athletes are women. How much media coverage do they get? 2 to 4%. They're erased and invisible in the media landscape. I would be happy if we had 50% of all sport media be on female athletes. I would be happy if 50% of all athletic directors were women in positions of power. So, those are the metrics that I look at when we're trying to push the needle. I'm not 100% is unrealistic. It's never going to happen, not in my lifetime. But at least 50% would be equitable. And to your question before, equity, people say, well, what does that mean? So, here's what it means really simply. If the women's soccer team, we'll, we'll just keep with soccer. If the, women's soc- if the men's soccer team would get everything that the women's soccer team gets, locker room, facilities, pay, coaching staff, travel, level of travel, if the men would get what the, the women got and they would go, oh, yay, that's great. No problem. We'll take what the women have. That's equity. If the men are like, hell no, we're not doing that what the women get, then it's not equitable.
1: Uh, yeah, that's an apart line. Uh- Okay, so uh, so was, since we're talking so much, we were talking a little bit before the show about people are really jazzed, like the Women's World Cup. It was so exciting. We should, I mean, just to have a little bit of a gray cloud on this. We talked about some of the inequities. One of the big ones that was called out a lot around that was just the winnings for the Women's World Cup. What it was something like uh, it was something like forty million dollars for uh, the Women's World Cup, whereas for the Men's World Cup, it's like hundred of millions, like it, it's just exponent, 400. 400 million, so it's literally 10 times more potentially um, so so that's like a piece that, that's getting a lot of attention called to it and so there, and correct me if I'm wrong but I thought that I read that when they did the ceremony to like crown the World Cup champions the head of FIFA was actually booed during this because there were so many people upset about this yeah. so people are jazzed people came out on a Tuesday night to hear all about this, uh, because they're so passionate, does that keep going? How do you keep that going? Because I do feel like there is some capacity where it's like, oh, we were all watching this thing this last weekend, and then, you know, hmm. two weeks from now, a year from now, like it kind of maybe, and then four, three years from now, we'll be back and we'll be like, ah, oh, this is so terrible! Um,
2: so, how do, you, how do you keep it going? Well, I mean, I think social media is doing a really good job of making sure that the awareness is out there. You know, I also think that it's, it's tweaking enough people's interest, and if we keep getting the conversation out there, the whole thing with FIFA is a little bit different on a world stage because on a world stage, the men's game does have a far bigger purse than the women's game on a world stage. But when we want to look at what's happening within the United States alone, especially with U.S. soccer and the salary inequity and the fact that the women's merchandising is way outselling the the men's merchandising and the women aren't seeing any benefit from that. I think think once we get curious about things and we start asking questions, I think there's a lot more aha moments where we realize, I mean, there was a private company that stepped up, uh, Luna Bars, Mm -hmm. and they actually funded the difference in salary between the men's and the women's US soccer salaries for the and they, they, they covered it for the women's hundreds of thousands of dollars they donated to the women women-owned company Yeah, a woman-owned company. So there's there's things like this that are happening and I think when Nicole talks about the coverage in the papers, I mean, has anyone read these articles? Has anyone seen that this is news? I mean, this is this is news and and so social media really is a a precursor to having conversations, and the fact that you invited us out here tonight is huge, because this can start more conversations. But the fact of the matter is we need change.
1: On that very profound note, please, a big round of applause.
0: Thank you for listening. If you'd like to attend one of our live shows or are interested in working with us on an issue you're passionate about, you can find out more information on our website at www.t2p2.net and on Facebook and Twitter. Also, if you enjoyed the show, please tell a friend about it. Thanks.